if you do a live show, said y'all, y'all, she did. Don't make me smack you. But yeah, y'all could do it like. Oh, I did it again. She said it again. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 101 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Aaron Bay in Whitby, Ontario. Hello there. And we have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hello. Alrighty. Uh, so, I turned on two-factor authentication oh, no. yesterday. Oh no. Yes, I did. Oh no. No, no, this, this doesn't have one of those endings. Oh, this, is this it, on, the, on the Mac or, uh, or yeah. other things? Well, it's... It, well, once you do it, it's for Apple ID and it encompasses all oh, the yes, things, yes. right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I've done it on Google, and so every time I change devices, I have to jump through hoops and send myself text messages and stuff like that. Yeah. So re-authenticated. Yeah. It kind of is a pain in the ass, and and uh, so I got it set up on my Mac downstairs, and that's my iMac, and then my my MacBook. I just opened up here, and uh, my calendar came up, uh, fantastical, and said, "Enter your one-time password." And, you know, so that you can sign in again. And, you know, you, for, for things where you have to put a password in, you have to get, like, a special one-time password from Apple. Right. You have to create one. And so I went to my Apple ID account and went to type in my credentials. And it said, oh, okay, now you need uh, you need um, a six-digit number that we're going to send to you now. Okay. That's, that's the two-factor thing. I have, of course, not received that. Oh, they send it to you by text message, do they? Yeah, yeah. It's supposed oh, to come okay. straight to really? my phone. Yeah, and huh. it, that was that was about three minutes ago now, and it is yet to arrive. Wow. So I'm just sitting here, like that attractive young woman who's sitting on the Apple ID homepage, just going, hello, um, resend the code, text me, okay? A message has been sent to my phone number. And... Survey says... We're still waiting. Hmm. Yeah, I thought it did just come to your phone. But maybe it comes by, um, uh, you know, the thing with the stuff. From the junk? Yeah. <laughs> Push notification. Right. Yeah. Uh, that didn't happen. The SMS has not happened. This is exactly mm. why I didn't want to effing do this. And now yes. I'm so furious. Yes. This is where the oh no, that's where my oh no comment came from. Because that's well, exactly, I'm the same thing. I'm like, uh, do I really want to shut myself out completely? Yeah. So, well, you weren't on the show when I mentioned that I took my computer into the Apple store and... This is my main computer. This is my livelihood, right? And, you know, I have all kinds of code on it. So I took all the all the sensitive projects off of it, right? And I took it into the store. And then I thought, oh, God, they have access to my iCloud and my uh, Apple, my Apple, regular Apple ID stuff. Because I had to leave them a password. And I was too stupid at the time to say, here's Carol's login. Because Carol doesn't use my computer very much, right? But she has a login on it. And I could have just given them that, and then they could only monkey around with her account. And so then I came home and reset my iCloud password. And then all of my devices for the last, for two weeks after that kept saying, what's that password again? You know, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the mails, they would try and check, you know, iCloud mail. I go, what's that password again? And then my iPad started doing it. And then, then I tried putting it back to the password that it was before, so I wouldn't have to update all the peripheral devices, because I have several of them, right? As you probably do, too. And... Uh, lo and behold, it, I couldn't go back to the previous password because that's one of their password policies, right? Good Lord. So, yeah. So, I couldn't go back to the one that all my devices already knew. So, All right. That's just... I but mean, thank goodness for 1Password because I keep all those kind of passwords in 1Password so that if I ever need to get at them, I can. 
Indeed, indeed. So, like, I even have a, I even have an iPhone six or, or sorry, iPhone three G S upstairs that I use for checking, you know, MTJC podcast Twitter account and you know, a little bit of Slack and maybe the weather before as I'm getting ready to, for my day kind of thing. Really, and I, I, I don't ha- get that. What? So you well, don't I have do- an iPhone that you have constantly on you? You just no. use whatever phone is lying around? No, well, it's a personal policy thing. I don't take my iPhone unless I'm going up to work upstairs. I don't take my iPhone off the first floor. I just don't take it upstairs. So you don't have a phone on your person at all times? Not when I'm sleeping, no. When you're sleeping? Yeah, I, I pretty much spend most of my days on the first floor of the house. And then, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I, I pack it in, oh. plug my phone into charge and go upstairs, leave my watch down here. Oh, weird. Oh. I'm completely analog upstairs. Well, not completely because I've got... Except for the phones yes. you have lying around. Well, that, that's, that's in the library, the reading room upstairs, if you know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Uh, and I use that when I get up in the morning and, you know, go to shower and stuff like that. And I want to check and see, like, you know, how much, you know, weather am I going to be dealing with today? I have that there. And I can check, you know, a few accounts. And it's it's running System 6, too, which is the comical... Or, sorry, iOS 6, which is the comical bit. <laughs> system um, 6 would have been totally comical. Well, I was just talking to somebody about System 6 on, online, hey, actually. stay on topic, Tim. Anyway surprisingly dropbox still works on it and my my one password is still able to sync with my current dropbox account you know so which i think is kind of cool they've got some nice backward compatibility and i'm waiting for the day when i won't be able to do that but you know it's still useful i mean i changed the battery and it probably runs better than most of the batteries and the other devices i have now anyway but but yeah to your point like the reason i was going there and the reason i reminded myself of that is i just this morning put the icloud password in it because i had it on one password and here you are, you still haven't got your notification from Apple yet, have you? So here's the thing, I did get it, and oh. uh, it went to my Mac, the one that I originally set everything up on. Oh, really? But it has not arrived on any of my other devices, even though they are all in the same iCloud account. So is it like, that? was it came through an iMessage That's to right. you? Oh, okay. See, with Google, I have it set to my my cell phone. So anytime I anytime I do something, you know, on the if I switch to it, if I put Google Calendar on my iPad, for instance, it'll say, okay, your Google account needs two-factor authentication. We're going to ping your, your cell phone. So it pings my cell phone, and then I just, you know, and it comes to a notification screen, so I don't even have, don't even have to open the app to, to get at it. So that's how Google does theirs. But I'm yeah, the theirs. Apple ones always sort of worried me. So, but other than that, so it's been okay? Give me one second. One second. Sure. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Copy and paste would be nice, wouldn't it? So is it always the same key, or do they send you a unique key for every It's instance? a unique key every time. Okay, so you can't store that in one password, for instance. Oh, no, no. That would be useless. And I, it's six digits, and I keep forgetting it uh, because I'm a, an idiot. Yeah, it's um, kind of like a phone number. Remember those? Yeah. Oh, that was it. Okay, finally got it. Other than this particular moment of snafu, has it been a pleasurable experience, two-factor authentication? Is it oh, that much okay. of a hassle? Or? It, it, it is not as much of a hassle as I feared it would be, and I, I haven't fully implemented it yet. That much seems obvious to me right now. Clearly, my MacBook is not part of the party, and right. I am currently investigating how to make it part of the party. Mm-hmm. It seems that Apple's only going to send those um, auth codes to my iMac downstairs, which is fine when I'm in the house because I can screen share into it and have a look. But if I have to be that way outside of the house, it's going to become painful very quickly. Mm-hmm. So um, I've got to figure that out. And meanwhile, otherwise, it's fine. The reason I wanted to do it, of course, is that you have to engage two-factor authentication if you want to have your, your watch unlock your Mac. Mm-hmm. That's the requirement. Mark, do you have any experience with two-factor authentication from Apple? Uh, from Apple in particular, I'm not sure, but with other places, sure. Use it yeah. a lot. 
I've been using it with with Google um, for all the Google apps. But yeah. uh, I actually yeah. just set it up with Twitter today, as a matter of fact. Oh, really? Ooh, the Twitter, app. Ooh. Twitter. Why do you use Twitter? What's that for? I don't know. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure that out. But uh, yeah, there was some message from from uh, uh, some guy asking about burritos or something like that. Oh, so right. That. And uh, and the, the app asked me to to put in my phone number, and but it seemed to work fine. Yeah, no, that was actually an invitation for me to our audience of listeners. You know, we usually throw out a, a shout out about an hour before, but I was a little late today. Or also Aaron was a little late today, but yeah, there we go. I was late with what? The, the, the Ask MTJC hash, hashtag. Remind, uh, yeah. Remind, well, I, remind I, of the peoples, the peoples. I RT'd that after you put it out, so I know, I'm late Im- by definition. Immediately. Yeah, yeah, so what am I looking at here? Let's Let's cover burritos because I love a good burrito. Yeah, is this so, a thing well, that actually happens? This is a thing that actually happened. The the guys over at Five Thirty Eight, which is a a website run by Nate Silver, who's a uh, pretty renowned uh, statistician, who's best known for predicting the previous uh, presidential election electoral college votes to mm-hmm. you know, with a super high amount of accuracy. Like one hundred percent accurate, wasn't he? <laughs> pretty much, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's got a website where they just have lots of interesting stories about statistical analysis of things. And uh, recently I just discovered they did a a tournament, a bracketed tournament of the best burritos in the U.S., in their opinion. And wow. uh, it's an interesting article to read. Uh, there's a surprisingly lot of detail. Uh, and the winner is uh, a place called La Taqueria, which is up here in San Francisco, which is yep. a... A great burrito. San Francisco in general is known for great burritos, uh, but this one, at least according to these guys, is the absolute best. So, is this anytime... just like a one-off? Like, do I have to go to San Francisco to get one of these bad boys? Yes, yes. Oh, well, the Christ. you know, and it, 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 the, the the best ones are going to always come from these small local taquerias. You're never going to get right uh, the mm. best burrito from some kind of uh, national chain or even international chain. It's always the best. The best ones yeah. always come from the small places. So next time you guys are in San Francisco, look me up. I will, I will drive up and I'll meet cool. you for a burrito. Oh, so we have a reason we'll, we can actually get you out of out of uh, San Jose. <laughs> yeah. It has been known to happen. Yeah. And we've you got have some had one good, of these. Yes, I have. It's actually been some time, but I have had one. Yes. It is, and it is quite good. It is, it quite, is quite good. good. Would yeah. you say it yeah. is the best burrito you've ever had? That's actually a, a very mm. good question. Well, uh, thank you. Because it's a pretty subjective question. Uh, I think the best burrito I ever had is was back when I was in grad school down in Santa Barbara. There was this tiny little hole-in-the-wall place uh, called uh, Taco Saco Poco. And I can say it because it's now long out of business. But hmm. I guess I could have said it anyway. But they, they used to have the best burritos you know, late at night. You know, That was the classic three in the morning uh, after a night of, of, of fun and yes. a burrito. Yes, uh, but that's that was you know twenty years ago at least, and they're long out of business, so which is sad. I gotta say the the farmers market at the Embarcadero on Sunday morning has the best like uh, I guess off the cuff um, Mexican food breakfasts, I guess mm-hmm. um, that I've that I've had you know compared them to other restaurants and stuff like that it was pretty good. But uh, yep. Yeah, so uh, interesting. Yeah, okay. lots of lots of great lots of, uh, Mexican food in, in lots of great food. I'm I'm never going to eat. Yeah. Cool, man. <laughs> hey, did we get a we got an Ask MTJC question? This is from last week, actually. I think oh. you must have sent it in just after we started recording. I think we missed it from the one from Alan Edmonds. Yeah, yeah. 
friend of the show, listens to us a lot and retweets us. Well, because he's a man of impeccable taste. Of course, yes. His question is, what was the first Mac or other computer, (laughs) there are other computers, um, that you used (laughs) and what did you use it for? Predictions for the next five years. Wow. Well, that's That's a little little nebulous, but uh, we can at least answer the first one. That's a two-parter, right? I think it is. Yeah. I don't know if you're allowed to have two, but we'll, we'll roll with it. Uh, so my first computer was a uh, Mac classic that was in 1992, I think just after I graduated high school, my dad, uh, got me out of the basement where I was lying after having cut the grass on a very hot day and trying to cool off. And he said, so you still want that Mac? And I was like, yeah, sure. He said, okay, let's go buy one. And I just cool. went, what? And so I went to the future shop and bought a Mac classic I thought I was just going to use it for writing. Uh, turned out, though, that um, although I was an, an avid writer in those days, I uh, leveraged having that Mac to get into the Mac as itself, you know, and uh, and sort of never stopped exploring the Macintosh. And that's where it led me to where I am today. So why don't, Mark, you go. So the first computer I ever used, I think, was a Commodore PET, uh, which goes way, way back to probably late. 70s maybe early 80s uh but the, the the very first computer i owned was an atari 800 which was kind of comparable to one of the old apple twos uh i used it for lots of stuff. i mean I, I guess i have to say mostly gaming at the time because i was probably around 13 uh but i learned how to write basic code on it i learned 6502 assembly language on that thing uh, a little bit of uh, pascal and i think i even Played with some C. That might have been a little later. I don't know. But anyway. Yeah, so I, so I wrote... Uh, I, I, that's where I cut my teeth on programming. My first Mac, actually, wasn't till much later, because I, you know, I ended up you know going off to college. I used Macs in school, but didn't own one until a few years later when I got one of those... Uh, the first uh, round of Power Macs back in the 90s. Hmm. So, yeah. You youngsters, I tell you... Yeah, I think we bought we bought uh, Jonathan the Mac Classic because he was also a writer around the same time, I guess, as you, Aaron. Um, my first Mac actually was a um, Mac 2CX, and that was in late 1989. And uh, we're just getting into. I was working as an artist, and and we were drawing, um, you know, taking our artwork and scaling it up. And so a, a consultant came up with an idea of of using Macs to do that instead of you know hand drawing everything all the time. So. So I was working with Adobe Illustrator 88 and Quark Express 2, I want to say. And it was before Photoshop came out. Photoshop came about came out about six months after I got my first Mac. So I had the first version of Photoshop as well, which I you know spent many, many hours after work was over playing with Photoshop. But my fir- first, and that was the first computer that I actually worked sort of day to day. And that was a work computer. My first computer we bought, uh, Carol and I bought a we both were working in the company with computers. Her first computer was an SE30. And in fact, it came back to us a couple of years ago. We have it in the, we actually have her first computer in the basement. Non-functioning, but it's still there. Hmm. But we bought a Mac 2. Um, I used Mac 2 from uh, a gentleman downtown. Uh, one of the resellers there had won it in a contest or something. So we had a Mac 2 for forever. And our kids used to all sort of cut their teeth on the, on the Mac 2. But they also had Commodore 64s and things like that as well. So... But the first computer I actually worked on um, was when I worked for the Ministry of Natural Resources. They had a bunch of Xerox computers or Xerox typesetters, I guess, and they used Daisy Wheel printers. So they, that was the first time I sort of got to play around with typesetting and things like that. 
and uh, we produced a couple of uh, brochures using sort of typesetting methods, you know, putting get making galley type and stuff like that and copy and pasting. But that was the first computer I ever seen that had a pull down pull down menu. So it had a, a GUI. So it must have been something that came out of the sort of Xerox Park mm. kind of stuff. So that was kind of cool. Since you called us out with the youngsters uh, quote there too, uh, <laughs> I will I will mention that. That Commodore I mentioned was the first PC that I used. However, right. uh, I did use some digital PDP-11s uh, with, uh, with a teletype machine terminal. And, and probably nobody remembers what that is except maybe you, Tim. Uh, basically, it was a, a printer with a keyboard. So you would type on it, and it would actually type onto a piece of paper... Uh, but actually, but also send the commands to the computer, and, oh, and cool, the response yeah. was actually printed out on a piece of paper. So there yeah. was no monitor; it was just uh, essentially a a, a hardwired or a hotwired uh, typewriter. Cool. I, yeah. I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys saw it the, the other day. There was a tweet. Um, I'm not sure where I saw this, but somebody's come up with a a keyboard for uh, iOS and Mac devices that actually mimics an old typewriter with the keys you have to push down. Hmm. Remember the manual typewriters you had to push yeah, down and it had yeah. a carriage return on the whole bit? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So instead of a return key, it's actually got a physical bar you have to push to make it. Uh, it's kind of cool. I'll find it. I'll find it. You should put it in show notes. It's a kind of neat thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I'll give a, another plug here. We've talked about this in the show before, but if anyone out there ever wants to see some of these machines that we've been talking about and, and many, many more uh, in action, or at least maybe not in action, but behind, behind glass. Uh, the computer museum here in it's actually in Mountain View, uh, which is very close to San Jose. Uh, they, they have a pretty amazing collection of of all this old hardware and all these old computers, and it's pretty cool. If you're ever in the Bay Area, it's it's definitely worth a worth an afternoon to walk around and check it all out. Yeah, you got a whole itinerary there. You got I know the museum the and then get a bur- get burritos. burrito. I, yeah, I recommend getting the burritos for lunch and then going to the computer museum after. Yeah. Man. Yeah, I think the Children's Museum is out there too. Because that, that, I think that museum used to be in Boston. I remember I went there, I saw it in Boston, but I haven't seen it in San Francisco yet or the Bay Area yet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So cool. There's also there's also the Tech Museum of, of Innovation, which is down here in San Jose, uh, which is more uh, not so much specific to computers, but uh, but a museum of just the history of technology and Silicon Valley in general. So lots of cool stuff. So what about part two of the question and our predictions for the next five years? What do you think, Aaron? What's going to happen? I think I'd like to hold off and run that into the first topic of the show. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay. So, uh, Mark, you had some follow-up? Yeah. We talked a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I mentioned my phone was, was uh, behaving a little funny uh, in, in that the, the screen was, was bulging out right in the, in the middle of the, of the, of the, of the phone, uh, right. not, not on either of the top or the bottom edges, but, but actually the middle. And it was... It was sticking out, you know. I would say, good couple of millimeters. It was, it was pretty wow. bad. Yeah, yeah. So I took it into the Apple store. Uh, now remember, this is a this is a two year old iPhone six yeah. with no Apple Care, uh, no warranty, of course. That's long long gone. But I took it into the Apple store, and they told me that yeah, it, it was the the uh, the swollen battery problem that's been reported. They they pretty much knew instantaneously that's what it was. Really? Yeah, I hadn't heard yeah. about that before because we were talking about BendGate because we were discussing right. Apple Care and but I hadn't heard that there was a swollen battery issue. Yeah, yeah. But apparently, this was a real thing where the battery would just kind of swell up and, and and expand and and so much so that it would it would it pushes the screen up. I mean, it pretty dramatically. Wow, I should yeah. have taken a picture of it before I. 
before I turned it in. But uh, but the good news is that they they replaced the phone. Uh, no questions asked, no cost. Wow. So I was I was thrilled about that. That is Ooh, Apple yeah. policy. This is something that is not just to that phone. It is to all phones. I believe I told the story before about taking my wife's iPhone 5 in not too long ago because they had a replacement program for the sleep-wake switch, which on that model had uh, sort of a faulty mechanism and it wasn't working for her anymore. Mm-hmm. We took it in to get it replaced and at the same time they looked at it and said, your battery is swollen. Hmm. And oh, really? so wow. they simply gave her a brand new iPhone 5. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that's Apple saying, look, the, the battery is the single most dangerous component in this phone. We are not messing with it. Right. Wow. You know, right. it's, it's I, lithium polymer technology, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was having and hawing a little bit with the, with the genius uh, about whether, whether it's even worth it, because I'll probably get an iPhone 7 as soon as it comes out. And he said, no, you should just let us do this because this will get worse. Yeah, uh, and he he said that it's 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 kind of hit the knee point now, where it's just going to it's going to get worse really fast, especially with the hot weather, uh, and it could it could come out you know as close to like half an inch uh, of thickness, but before it was done, so wow, so yeah, so he wanted to exchange a thing right away, right there on the spot. Yeah, that's great. Yep, it's great to have it taken care of too. Yep. Yep, sure is. And you've got a brand new phone, right? Like a brand, a brand new iPhone new, 6. Brand new iPhone 6. Yeah, yeah you turn were... around and sell that, and it'll be worth, like, top dollar. Yeah. <laughs> it'll be in pristine yeah. condition. Shiny. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. or, or you could even postpone your, your upgrade if you wanted to. Yeah, we were talking about uh, the Apple Care Plus program where um, I, I when we were talking about Bengate a couple of years ago, I just I, and I just got my phone. I dropped 99 bucks and got the, the Apple Care Plus um, coverage because... While it only it only covers you for two years instead of the traditional Apple Care at three years, it does include two accidents or two like you, know, you drop it on the floor, the screen smashes, or you drop it in the toilet, you know whatever it gets soaked. You know, they there's a no questions asked, you know, two incidents replacement policy. So, but this is cool that they that they uh, they were able to replace Mark's phone. Yep, yep, that is cool. I don't know. I've I've never found it worthwhile to get the Apple Care on anything i have never purchased apple care yeah no it, and i have and and i well, clearly made, you just I've said made, so well no I, i've made use of it i don't always buy it i bought it on laptops because i've had many many i've had laptops since the first mac book came out which is the little you know the little even the i think it was 150 or 140 something like that something like that i had the color 180c you know and i've had issues on and off with different laptops and because you know my reseller and consultant experience I've seen a lot of uh, Mac uh, laptops, you know, have bad hinges and all that kind of stuff. So um, over the years, the Apple Care that I've uh, put on laptops specifically, I've never bought it on a desktop machine except for one of my servers. I bought it for that. But, have you, are you saying then that you have used Apple Care for oh laptops? many many times many many times. times yeah in fact I because you know we we've been having uh, some audio issues with my MacBook Air to the point where you were ready to drive my house and beat it with a hammer. Um, <laughs> I, I took it into Apple. Uh, the, the part you, you we were we started out talking about Buckethead, and we went into Apple Care afterwards. But you, you didn't listen to that part. No, of I would have tuned mm-hmm. out by then. Anyway, that's so, a natural progression, right? From yeah, Buckethead of course. Yeah, 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 makes yeah. sense. Yeah. We should talk yeah. about Buckethead on every show. Aaron would just love that. I think anyway, we should. Yeah. So, uh, needless to say, I took I took it in, and it turns out that that this MacBook Air actually has a separate sound card. So and. And uh, I, I had bought Apple Care on it because I had a I had a uh, sort of flaky MacBook Air before this one, um, which my friend has now, and it's, it hasn't been flaky since. But anyway, took this one in, uh, and I was like, 
The only appointment I could make was on June 30th and my AppleCare ran on, on July 1st, Aaron. So they said, no problem. And, and I said, what happens if something happens after this, that like the symptoms continue? They said, An existing you've reported it. situation, yeah. Yeah, you've reported it before your warranty expired, so you're good. So anyway, they replaced the soundboard in it, and I have not had any of those sound issues that we've been experiencing for the last two years on the podcast. So, so Great. knocking on wood. I have had... I cannot count the number of laptops I've owned, and I would say it's probably at least 10. I have never had Apple Care, but I have had things go wrong with them, but it's always in the first year. I, I had a uh, screen go bad with a logic board problem, and it was less than a year old. I took it in, and they just replaced the whole board. It was wonderful. I had an hinge go wrong in one, again, under a year. I've never had anything go bad in, after the first year. The money I've saved not buying Apple Care, I could buy a new Mac easy with it. Especially the ones that you know when you're paying hundreds of dollars for Apple Care for for a PowerBook or MacBook or whatever. Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. And and the thing is, like like in my case, it was a business case. It was like my primary business computer, and I couldn't afford to every be computer is my yeah. primary business computer. Well, that's true. <laughs> every computer I own. Well, I, but I even had the uh, the hinge replaced on the original. You were talking about the MacBook, the clamshell MacBook that uh, Steve Jobs introduced out of the Manila envelope. Uh, I bought one of those, and uh, it's a family member of mine had it, and it had this, the hinges in the back started splitting, the plastic that held it together, right? So we had that replaced on AppleCare. Yeah, I think my Wall Street G3 did that. That was plastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've never gotten AppleCare either, and, and I've had pretty good luck, but... Uh, I did have an issue on an HP computer once. Uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, where where the <laughs> the uh, the it was a laptop and the screen separated from the the back of the laptop, kind of probably kind of similar to what you're talking about, Tim. And they actually replaced the thing for free uh, with no Apple or I mean no no warranty, uh, which I thought was actually pretty impressive. It was it was it was probably about three years old at the time. No warranty mm-hmm. left at all, but they replaced the whole thing. So yeah, so if, without AppleCare. But yeah. I, I, you know, I can't tell you the number of times that uh, I mean, you know, five six years ago when when issues would go wrong with your computer. I mean, like a logic board in a in a in those PowerBook um, the PowerBook G fours. They were like close to a thousand dollars. They were almost half the price of the computer. So if one of those went for whatever reason. Um, and you didn't have Apple Care, it was a problem. I mean, you know, I, and I know many, many clients who were able to take advantage of that, you know, because of the fact, I mean, take advantage of the fact that they were covered and, and they had issues come up with their computers. So, all right. Uh, shall we tackle the show then? Sure. Um, we have a topic here I would like to talk about because it is near and dear to my heart and I think to many of our listeners as well. The question of where are all the new Macs? Where are all the Macs? Where? Now? Are they? That's the question. And a funny thing, too, because the way this topic came around is uh, last week. When was this published? Because it happened that very morning, last Monday, okay, the 16th, 18th, mm-hmm. sorry. Mm-hmm. On the 18th, um, in the morning, I was uh, just getting dressed and I was thinking to myself, what is up with Apple and its Macs? I had that thought in my head and I said, we have to talk about this on the show this week because there is something going on or rather not going on. And so, Rene Ritchie on iMore.com published a piece asking this very question. Yes, he did. It, it felt like fate. So, of course, we're talking about it now, because this is a very unusual circumstance we find ourselves in. 
Um, we've referred to in the past to Mac Rumors Buyer's Guide, which is a beautiful web page that outlines the time between releases for every individual um, Mac and iOS model that's out there and gives you a sense of where in the cycle we are. Mm-hmm. And at this point, if you look at that page, uh, can we put that in the show notes, Tim? Yeah, actually, it's just going to... Um, we've had it there before, of course, and I can give that link to um but in the meantime you look at that page today and everything is red basically everything is red and not just like red you know because we're at the same amount of length as before as the last refresh but we're we're into new territory now it's been so long since refresh that we have no idea uh what the pattern is anymore it doesn't even make sense so if you look at the whole product line from imac to mac mini macbook macbook pro they are all overdue for a refresh. Well, just to interject, I think I mentioned before on the show that uh, one of what my uh, when I was a reseller, my uh, inside Apple guy told me that that it was you could set your watch by it was eighteen months between major releases of, of hardware. So that was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, but I but the the yeah, and, and there have been shorter releases too. But uh, but I'm just trying to find this picture. Is there one with a, a guy like a skull or something like that or a skeleton? I saw that Pardon in a tweet me. the other day. Yeah, on the buyer's guide, on the Mac Rumors buyer guide. Where, where, what's the link you're looking at? Okay, I'll, I'll give you the one for the Mac, and I'll, I'll drop it into the show. Oh, and yes, um, no you just look across the line. Aside from the MacBook, which got a feature bump in April, every other product line is don't buy. Don't buy is their big red, like it's right. been so long um, that we don't even have a clue. The Mac Pro, it's been almost three years. Yeah. Yeah. Three years. And remember when, when that did come out, that was to all manner of fanfare and Phil Schiller saying, can't innovate my ass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's hmm. crazy. Look at the Retina MacBook Pro. You know, you can understand perhaps them not being too interested in the Mac Pro, but the MacBook Pro, their, their flagship Macintosh, basically, mm-hmm. 428 days we're at now. And the average is 268. Like you're almost doubling the average at this point. Or the MacBook Air. Uh, tomorrow, it'll be 500 days, and the average is 350. The Mac Mini, 643 days. Like, that's three years. <laughs> it's, two years, sorry. Two years. It's crazy. Two and a half. And the Mac Pro, 945. It's crazy. It is just crazy. So, what's going on? Okay, so that's the question. This is the question that Rene Ritchie is trying to answer, and it's really, he, he takes a tour through the product lines, and sort of speculates on where things are and looking at things like the uh, Intel roadmap where, you know, a lot of Apple's planning and what they actually are capable of doing comes from. And uh, the fact of the matter is, of course, Intel has been having all kinds of issues of late delivering CPUs uh, in their new TikTok talk um, sort of stepwise transitions as they move to Skylake, for example, uh, a, a processor that Intel has come out with, but which Apple has declined to use, uh, particularly for something like the MacBook Pro, again, the flagship that, you know, we really do need to see updates with. And, you know, we had all kinds of rumors before WWDC where we were talking about like an LED or an OLED strip above the keyboard, um, all kinds of weird things like, you know, Touch ID, perhaps um, things that haven't materialized. And so really the hope or the speculation that we can sort of read into this is that maybe it's just like a, a really major change to the to the line and it's just not ready yet. 
So I guess, um, you know, when you get right down to it, we don't know, right? We just don't know. And we really hope that Apple has a credible story come the fall when Apple would presumably be introducing some of these computers because uh, they really can't go much further. Like, <laughs> it feels like it's reached a breaking point that if if Apple doesn't present an answer to the question, where's the updated hardware, then people are going to start thinking about looking elsewhere, particularly professionals, right? You know, your consumer may not be too interested in the latest uh, Intel CPU inside their Mac, but uh, people who edit video or, you know, develop, for example, uh, would be looking for an answer to that question, and and it doesn't appear to be forthcoming. But how could they look elsewhere, though? (laughs) <laughs> That's actually a funny question. Uh, Mike Rundell, uh, you know, a developer, designer fellow, built a Hackintosh out of commodity PC parts. This is something that's been around for, for years, but is right, getting yeah. new interest, you know, by people who are, you know, who cannot wait any longer. You know, Apple, having been three years now since launching the Mac Pro, you know, they don't have an answer for high-performance computing with a Mac operating system. And although it's a big pain in the ass, like, I mean, a big pain to do a Hackintosh, it is absolutely possible. You know, if there's there's websites out there that allow you to uh, find the right components and give you good instructions on how to install the OS, even though it's not exactly on the up and up, uh, and get most of everything working, if not everything. So that's something that more and more people are going to look at. And I hate to say it, I mean, it doesn't seem plausible to me uh, personally, but uh, looking at Windows, you know, like the high, high-end... Uh, Intel hardware is still out there, still a thing that you can buy. And for those who need performance, uh, that that option does exist. Um, you know, for me, it's a total non-starter. And that's that's why I wanted to wait until now to address uh, the second half of Alan's question. Uh, predictions for the next five years. I think that um, it's going to depend on how Apple does, in fact, feel about the Mac. If it does become an afterthought, as it has started to look, then... I have a lot of concerns. You know, people are going to look elsewhere. Apple clearly wants to continue innovating with the operating system. Right, yeah. But if they are not continuing to innovate on the hardware, then the OS becomes something of a dead end. So people either go with the Hackintosh or they look at Windows. Well, I think it's I think it's a little premature to to even start thinking that Apple is giving up on, on the Mac line. There's a lot of reasons why, from a hardware point of view, why things could be delayed. I mean, they, there, there may be reliability issues. There may be manufacturing issues. Uh, these these chips now are getting very, very advanced uh, in, in the technology. Uh, it, it's this, this a super, super deep submicron stuff is really hard. <laughs> and and uh, in particular, the reliability is, is very hard to get right. And Apple's, as we all, we all know, prides itself historically on having hardware that that works uh, hasn't always been the case lately, but but uh, I, I think they do try pretty hard to put out a product that that is high quality. So so if the if the silicon hardware just isn't isn't up to par yet, uh, I could easily see them delaying rather than putting something out that's just going to cause a lot of problems. Yeah. But I think they have to do something before the new version of macOS comes out. I mean, they they pretty much have to have pretty high-powered hardware to, to run that on uh, yeah. to really uh, show it off. So, to run on so Sierra, you mean? Sierra, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, right. I think they will. You know, something that, you know, if we're talking about a five-year uh, time frame, then the thing that it puts me in mind of is Apple's dependency on Intel. 
and how much it's starting to remind me of the PowerPC Alliance back in the 90s. Do you remember that, Mark, when yeah, Apple sure. was re- using PowerPCs and were you know, especially Motorola after the G5 came out. Yeah, Motorola yep. and IBM. Mm-hmm. And when the G5 came out, it was only usable in desktops because it ran so hot. And they just could not engineer a way to get the G5 to run in their laptop lines. Mm-hmm. And so the, the PowerBook G4 remained the top of the line, you know, computer that you could get from Apple. Um, meanwhile, the desktops were running G5s. And it was becoming very clear that the engineering talent had had hit a wall and apple was not getting where it needed to do which led to them switching to intel and i wonder if nowadays we're looking at something similar with intel kind of hitting a wall well it kind of raises a question too and and so can we talk about your your second uh post there about ARM? absolutely because it's a good segue yeah (laughs) well because i was going to say isn't isn't, aren't aren't we looking at arm processors inside of the ios devices is that not or that's exactly right yes so so there's a difference between arm and, and intel though so intel is a is a vertical design and manufacturing house for microprocessors so they design it internally they build it internally ARM is different. ARM, you ARM. They design the core, which is just the the uh, it's 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 a it's a you you buy a circuit design from them and drop it into your own chip design. So Apple has been doing that for some time. All the you know the A four A five etc. line uh, those are all designed internally by a group that used to be it was an acquisition uh, Palo Alto Semiconductor a few years back. Uh, so they've been doing that all internally now. Uh, and, and it's very possible that that they are making a, a, a switch over to that. Uh, the, the The manufacturing difference is that uh, Apple doesn't manufacture the chips; they do it at external foundries, Samsung or TSMC. So, so there's a, a little bit of a of a more of a challenge there in the 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 transfer from design to manufacturing. Intel doesn't have that problem so much because they're it's all internal. Uh, the The internal designers are often sitting in the same building as the manufacturing folks, and any potential issues and gotchas where they have to tune the design to work well for the technology come up pretty early. It's not quite like that when you use an external foundry. Yeah, I, I've done this actually. It's there, so it usually works fine, but but you don't necessarily always know all of the the, the warts in the technology that you're using uh, and and unexpected things can come up so so it's also possible that uh, some of the designs are not working they're not yielding well is, is, is the term they use in the in the foundries and are you talking uh, about in, Intel now mark no I'm talking about Apple using external foundries okay so it is possible that the delay. Yeah, I guess I jumped ahead a little bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we, we have we have no idea, right? But these are we're, but we're just we're just inventing plausible situations. Uh, one 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 possibility is that Apple did make a decision to move away from Intel for whatever reason and do a lot more of the design internally, uh, and there have been either delays or issues running those chips in the foundries that could be delaying things it's it's a possibility are you are you suggesting mark that apple has moved to arm architecture for its max i'm not suggesting anything i'm just saying it's it's possible well it sort of brings to mind too that the the emphasis on the pro line of ios devices like so we we start we 
we've seen the uh you know the ipad pro two versions of it and my link down there about the iphone 7 there's also a rumored pro coming well not a rumored pro there's a picture of a a case that says pro right on it and it's got the three little holes that look like they sync up with the keyboard as well and that sort of moves towards your Aaron, your desire to have an iphone that you could use an apple pencil with right mm-hmm. um so perhaps we're talking the this sort of five-year prediction thing maybe maybe the uh we do get a pro ios and that starts to supplant some of the lower end or even professional level macintoshes well i think that's possible uh, i i do it's see a long shot but yeah it, no i do see when you look far enough out ios and mac merging i think that's inevitable mm-hmm and I do see that being in favor of iOS, obviously, because that's where the the effort is, clearly. Um, my, my wondering is about putting ARM in the Mac. And that's that's sort of what led us to, is leading us, I think, to this other story about ARM's purchase by SoftBank. Because looking at Intel, or sorry, Apple's dependence on Intel, and that's um, looking like an increasingly risky decision, given how Intel has totally missed mobile, right? They... They had investments in ARM, uh, the company, and they had their own division for producing ARM chips, but then gave it up uh, as not their core competency. Mark, you can definitely speak better to this than I can, but everything that I'm hearing and what I'm seeing reflected in this story that I'm going to link in the show notes uh, about ARM's purchase, where it compares ARM to Intel and sort of tries to define uh, what ARM is compared to Intel, and I think which Mark has already explained very well, they're a designer, they're not a manufacturer, uh, is that Intel is heavily invested right now in desktop and server-class chips. Uh, they are not invested and not tooled to build mobile chips, not ARM chips. Um, and so they're at a distinct disadvantage uh, as the future is rushing towards us. Um, I don't know how um, how realistic it is to expect mobile chips based on a risk architecture meant for tiny devices with with very little um, power uh, requirements uh, translates into a desktop operating system uh, or its computer. Um, but that feels like something that might be happening. And it would relieve Apple of the dependency on Intel and give them greater power, which, you know, at the end of the day, that's exactly what Apple likes best, is to have control of all its stuff. Yeah, right at, now, at, Intel's at some point, back. At some point, you, you kind of reach the point of no returns of, of making your chip just faster and 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 uh, more powerful uh and, and we've already you know we've already seen this for years now moving to more and more uh like quad chips you know multiple chips on a on uh, multiple processors on a single chip so there's no reason why going forward we couldn't see instead of just one big you know one big giant uh, intel processor uh we see hundreds of arm cores powering powering a desktop computer why not Exactly. Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that's happening now, but but uh, but certainly it's possible. Yeah, that reminds me of the old joke on Slashdot. Imagine a Beowulf cluster of these. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was a long time ago. Yeah, so that seems like a plausible thing, and I and I hope people uh, take the time to read this article about Arm's purchase by SoftBank, which is an, a bet on the future of mobile, which doesn't seem like a terrible bet at all, given the premier role that arm plays in the guts of all these mobile devices that are everywhere now right. on on all platforms and this this purchase is a done deal or it's just in process you know i think it's in process 
Um, I don't think it's actually happened yet. I'm not 100% sure on that. So are ARM processors used in Android devices as well? Yes, or? absolutely. Oh, yeah, okay, okay. Yep. 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 And really, like, Apple is the one that stands out alone because they, like, like everyone else, license the ARM designs. But they oh, add I so see. much more to right. it. Right? right. Yeah, that's the key to ARM, understanding ARM at least, is that they don't manufacture. They just design. So they come up with new ARM cores every year or so or whatever it is. Um, you know, like the ARM, you know, 15 or something like that and then apple takes that design and then those guys they had from pa semi who enhance it make it make it more appropriate for their own uses right right yeah that's that's key it's even in the name it's it's a core it's not it's not the full the full microprocessor just it's the core unit that is meant to be built around with extra functionality to be that, that you customize however you want it yeah and sort of like, you know, to look at it from the Android side, they sort of take that core and they just basically pull it off the shelf and they, you know, put it together inside a commodity case, a commodity computer, um, you know, this handheld version of the same thing. And it's pretty much shipped ju- just as is. So the hardware on Android is not as, you know, custom tailored to the operating system as, as iPhones and iOS are. Right, right. So yeah, so it's so it's it's not like Google is going out and buying an ARM core and 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 building a chip, right? They right. They, the the manufacturer, the phone manufacturer, whether it be Samsung or LG or whoever, uh, has to buy a chip that someone else has built around a, a, an ARM core. I think yeah, a lot of them use Qualcomm. I think yeah, uh, the but, Snapdragons. But yeah, you yeah, about those. yeah. But I'm sure I'm sure Samsung does their own internally. Like, I would be really surprised if they did not. Yeah, they ought to. Right. Right. They manufacture apples. Why not their own? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's it's interesting. Samsung's such a huge company. The the foundry division and the mobile division are are really two completely separate companies. Yeah. Uh, separate P and Ls. Yeah. Yeah. So so it's it's not necessarily the case that that the mobile division would have to use some some internal solution offered by the foundry. They in fact they probably don't. The foundry probably does not offer an off-the-shelf version of, of this. They, they'd still have to, uh, internally to the division, build their own. Unlike Intel, which where, where they are intertwined. Yep. Right. Okay, so that's that covered. So can we, let's talk about the iPhone 7 rumors that are out. Um, Ooh, there's rumors. a picture from a uh, Chinese uh, social network, I believe it was. This is in an article in Mashable showing a photograph of phone cases that look a lot like the iPhone 6 and the 6 Plus and the 6, and there's this new third phone that looks like it has, um, I don't know, even dual cameras, if you will, um, and the three dots across the back, and, and it, there's a piece of paper saying iPhone 7 Pro uh, on top of the, the picture that was taken, so... What do you think about well, that? Well, that that seals it. I mean, if it says iPad 7 Pro on a piece of paper. On a piece then, of paper written in pen. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's it. it. This is legit. It's legit. Yeah. 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 I, I saw a couple other articles that were pretty much debunking this, saying that this was this was not, oh, not somebody, real. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. What um, evidence did they bring to bear, I wonder? That it was real or that this was That, or, that this or, was fake. That this was fake. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um I'd have to go find that article. Yeah, I, I don't remember exactly what they said, but uh, but it, it basically the argument was more of the, no, that's crazy. What are those guys saying? There's no evidence of that. There are two code names that Apple's using for the two new models of the phone. 
don't know right. how they know this. Right. But somehow they know this. So since there's only two code names, there can only be two models. Hmm. Not three mm. models. Possibly. And mm. you know, that's well, that's just as valid as, as a, a random picture with a handwritten note that says iPhone seven pro, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, it's all unsubstantiated. Yeah, it is peculiar looking at this case that it says S, right? Like, yeah, I was like going to say every, everybody knows that with Photoshop in a couple of hours, I could do this too. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, what, okay, it's, let's let's pretend that it's real. Okay. Uh, how do you feel about it? Uh, I think it's cool. I mean, like like you said, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if if if, uh, if using a pencil on an iPhone is really something I want to do. Um, and I can tell you, I, I should be honest with you, I have a hard time remembering Don't where, lie I, to put, me, Tim. where I put my pencil. Like, you know, I, I actually do know where it is now that I'm thinking about it. But yeah, it's most of the time it's in my bag uncharged and just lying there doing nothing. So unless I specifically, like I don't, it's not something like, it's awkward that it's a, it's a device I have to carry around to support my wanting to use a pencil. But for the most part, you know, especially on the phone, I'm just, I'm happy enough to tap away with my fingers and do things like that, right? So. Yeah, it kind of remains to be seen. Yeah, I have a hard time seeing how this would sell that well, but sell well enough to make it worth it since, uh, you know, there's already, you don't see that many of the pluses around these days compared to the regulars. Yeah. Mm. Uh, well, I see quite a few of them, actually. Yeah, I do see yeah. a do few of them. Yeah, I, I, I do. don't see that many. Well, okay, okay. To, to me, though, I, I have said it before, I think this, this the six size uh, is, mm-hmm. is the ideal size for a phone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I find the other, the smaller four-inch phones awkward to use. And, and, uh, and you know, I, 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 use, I have a six plus myself. If I had known what I know now, I would have bought a six. Yeah, yeah. yeah so. It would make a lot more sense to me for them to make an iPad Mini Pro than an iPhone Seven Pro. Yeah, I don't know. IPad Mini Pro, yes. Well, yeah. so it have you know could use the pencil and all that. Right, right, have right. The, have the extra sound and it's funny, you know, the extra bonus camera or whatever that is. It really well, does make you wonder why they didn't do that. Well, they and they may, they may still. We don't know. Like, yeah, yeah true. You know, yeah. I mean, to me, like I've said it before, the, the iPhone the Mini format is probably my favorite ipad format you know uh, i like the 12 inch from the point of view of having lots of extra space to work on it's like having a 13 inch screen it, you know th- there's much not much difference between my ipad pro 12.9 and my macbook air 13 in terms of screen real estate and you know uh, but portability it's great it's a bit awkward and bulky when you're like in in tight quarters um so a mini might be better mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know for especially for like reading and so because i'm doing some book reading right now on while I'm in transit, and so I'm using my iPhone 6 Plus for that, which thankfully is big enough to do that. I don't see the iPhone users as necessarily wanting to have some sort of styli. We already have five of them, right? Or ten of them, right? You have ten of them? Yeah, on, I have five on one hand and five on the other. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, okay. Yeah. That was very clever. Totally okay. didn't get that. I learned that one from Steve Jobs. Oh. Okay. Um, yes, fair enough. I think that I would be disappointed if Apple had a pro iPhone that was only of the 5.5 inch size, because I, it would almost certainly have, it has the smart connector and the pencil and uh, by all appearances, if this is accurate, a much better camera, like the dual cameras that we've been hearing about, right? Well, yeah, but the dual, would you think that would be for 3D purposes or? No, um, the rumors that we had been hearing and uh, other products that have leveraged this feature use the dual cameras to um to get you slr type pictures oh better right right yeah so just taking much better photographs when you have two lenses that 
uh, interoperate basically. And then, you know, with algorithms that slam them together and give you the best image and give you something that you can, um, you know, edit and change the focal point, things like that, you know, uh, like the Lytro cameras, you know, that's what all this talk was about is that if you have two lenses and you, you program it correctly, then you can get SLR light quality in a, a smartphone. And if that is true, I'm super excited about that because it's one of the biggest things you use the phone for, right? It's taking great pictures. You know, it's reserved to that top of the line phone that let's face, it's probably going to cost $1,500 in Canada. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Uh, I'm going to be a little stung. Yeah. That's all. That's all yeah. I have to say. Yeah. And I, you know, I would be disappointed if that didn't show up in the mainstream iPhone 7, whatever it is. Um, well, I'm more concerned about yeah, that. It, interesting enough, the labeling of this thing, uh, it, yeah. it doesn't call the the Pro on the iPhone 7 Plus Pro. It just calls it the iPhone 7 Pro. Exactly. Right. And it's right. the same handwriting, so it's got to be true. Oh, right. absolutely. <laughs> right. So so that would that would imply that there was no, there were no, there were not two, two different versions of the Pro, fortunately. Exactly. So we got to wait and see, but I, that's, that's why I asked, you know, how do you feel about it? If it were true, this is how I would feel about it. If it were true, I would be pissed, <laughs> but yeah, then, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, I'd go and buy it because I want the best camera and it's shiny it has an apple on it. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's got yeah. the best camera. That's going to, that's going to be a huge motivating factor for me. Really? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I take tons of pictures. Yeah. You know, no, and, you're right. I do. I take a quite a few pictures myself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom has the 6S Plus. That's her phone. And I spent some time, you know, took it out of its giant tank case and just held it and tried to get a sense of, you know, is this something that I could carry around with me? And I think I could. I, I would prefer the 6 size, not the 6 or the plus size, rather. Um, so it's got to, I don't know. I, I would be a little sad, I think, if if I had to buy the biggest one. Yeah, first world problems. <laughs> exactly, but it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. I was looking at the extra lenses you could buy. You know, the third party lenses to make your camera movie, yeah. movie better. Yeah, movie caliente or whatever. Um, they YBN. But yeah, like you said, you have to take the phone out of the case. So if you have like an OtterBox or you know even a life proof case, God forbid, or or even I've got the Apple leather case on here right now. You know, I'd have to pop it out of there, and then you know, then you're you're futzing with things. Like, well, what are we futzing with these things for? Right? Shouldn't be futzing. Got to be taking pictures. You can't futz. Yeah. yeah, but the moment's gone. The Pokemon is gone. Yep. Yeah. I'm hip to your job talking. So that's that. Yeah. Um. We'll see. In it won't be too long. You know, like it's almost August. Yeah, it's, which means it's almost August, September. Sorry. Yep. <laughs> things are happening, baby. Yeah, Siri Bob. Um. I want to talk about something just quick, and sure. this is a link I saw right. in our yes. work Slack about iOS version release history. And this is relevant to developers who are looking at the um, the length of the beta period and the number of betas that get shipped in every beta. So this is something that is quite interesting for those of us who are using the betas on our devices and want to know, when do we think the next one's going to come? <laughs> so if you look right. at the chart here, beautiful colored chart, it shows for every every iPhone release, it shows how long and how many betas there have been. And there's for iOS, yeah, it's just for iOS, not not for Mac. It's very interesting. It, it suggests that uh, our beta 1 for iOS 10 was actually... Uh, an unusually long, long beta period. Think, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And um, the beta 2 is about average, I think, looking at these charts here. 
And beta 3, I think we've got probably uh, a couple weeks on beta 3. And it seems almost certain that we're going to see maybe beta 5, at least. Hmm. <laughs> right? Um, so, and the, the thing to look at here when you are examining this chart is that it has all the point releases. And we tend not to care too much about the betas for point releases uh, as much as we do for the um, the, the point um what do you call it? The whole numbers, whatever the major releases, that's the word. So <laughs> something to look at and keep in mind as you're looking at this chart. It's just cool. And uh, you might enjoy. By the way, did anyone speaking of version releases, did anyone notice that 9.3.3 came out today? Kind of quietly. I did not. Mm. Yes, you're yes. right. Yeah. Crit- yeah, critical bug I... fix. There's a uh, security issue where going to certain websites can can infect your phone without you doing anything apparently yeah i saw something about that earlier today yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Huh. did not see that actually yep. let's see if i have a link here handy because yeah i'm on ios 10 on all things oh you're on ios 10 yeah so it doesn't yeah. affect you necessarily yeah but this is yeah 9.3.3 good find some more detail all right so just go into the background on that one yeah, no, I and saw a link from Fuad here. I'm just going to grab it if I can. Oh, my man Fufu. How's he doing? He's generally pretty good. Oh, good, good. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of looked at it and thought, is that worthy of mentioning on the show? And then thought not. And then here we are. Here oh. we are. Talking about Since we're talking about versions, here's, here's the release notes. It's actually more to it than I realized. There are calendar oh, yeah. fixes, are graphics fixes, FaceTime fixes, image I.O., accelerator, kernel. Oh, yeah. Okay. All they say is uh, visiting a malicious website may lead to user interface spoofing. Hmm. Details. Redirect responses to invalid ports may have allowed a malicious website to display an arbitrary domain while displaying arbitrary content. Hmm. This issue was addressed through improved URL display logic. Oh. So, like, it just shows the URL? I wonder. I don't know. Improved URL display logic. To make it clearer that something's fishy going on. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this release. Mm-hmm. A lot of details. Okay. Oh, here and hopefully see. all in- included in iOS 10, I suppose. Oh, and here's, here's another one. Under WebKit page loading, visiting a maliciously crafted website may lead to arbitrary code execution. Which is always not fun. There you go. Have a look at that one. Okay, so this article that Tim's just placed it in talks about the iPhone exploit. Beware, your iPhone can be hacked remotely with just a message. (sighs) I wasn't going to post this because I didn't know if it was even real. (laughs) Yeah. Well, apparently it is. Uh, It's it's got a critical... Yeah, and uh, it's in an image.io... The API used to handle image data. So it sends a TIFF image through MMS or iMessage. Hmm. Remember TIFF? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> image sure. file format. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. So anyway, that's uh, that's why the it just got fixed in this thing. So Interesting. That's, that's the system working, folks. People find a problem, they file a bug, and Apple fixes it, and then we find out about the bug. All is well. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Tim, let's yeah. talk about your OC, uh, I was going to say OCD wall, OCR wall, because I thought this was super awesome. Did you? Okay. So this was a follow-up on WWDC in a manner of speaking, not, not that any of us actually visited this, but 
And we talked about it in the show with all the letters and whatever that were there. But apparently, uh, and again, not being a witness, not being there, don't know this for sure. There was a wall of um, hello messages that people were taking. Uh, I think it ran the length of the Moscone Center there, and people were taking pictures with it, and so on and so forth. And somebody has taken this. I think this is the second version I heard about this because somebody was telling me that uh, I think a developer in Toronto had also um, done something similar to this. But the person OC took pictures of the wall while they were at WWDC, stitched it, t- stitched it together so they have one big long panorama. And of course, there's an article in Medium and there'll be a note, uh, link in the show notes. And they OCR'd it once they had the, the full panorama put together. And now they've turned it into, if I'm not mistaken, something you can download and run. Yeah, it's a web page actually. Yeah. So the uh, I've tried to find it here. It is wwdcwall.com. dot com, right. and you go there, and it's it's a digital version of what appeared on that wall. Yes. So you can actually look at it, and it's set in the same typeface, the uh, San Francisco and um, mono, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's got the same colors because they detected the colors as well, and then just laid it out in a single web page. And it's astounding. It really mm-hmm. is. It was an astounding technical feat to capture and and read this in. Um, it's also astounding in a way because where did all this content come from? Like who, what human wrote these sentences? I don't get that. And they, I don't know, like if they're all references to Was apps? it a human that wrote it? That's a good question. Was it? That is a good question. That's an excellent question. That's That's part of what the astounding thing is. Mm-hmm. Hello, I'm not cooking tonight. Hello, the doctor will live chat with you now. Hello, culinary skills. Hello, masking bad photos with filters. Hello, the sound of crashes, strikes, hits, whacks, and thwacks. You know, like these are, they're, they seem random, mm. but they seem like they all refer to apps. Hello, Ironborn and Ironwood. Hello, coloring for adults. I mean, I could keep going. This is insane. It's, and it's, you got to look at the article at the very least. If you do nothing else, if you're just listening to this in your car, pull your car over, open the Medium article, and look at the photo. Yeah. The, the single photo of the wall at Moscone West to get a sense of how big this thing is. It is incredible what they did. It blows my mind. And to capture it in this on a web page is a terrific achievement. Which reminds me, uh, and I don't think we've ever talked about this on the show, but have you guys, you guys are familiar with The Onion, right? Sure. The publication, yes. Yes, or yeah. website as I know it. Not the vegetable. Not the vegetable, yes, exactly. Right. Have you guys ever seen the mock um, product announcement that they did called the MacBook Wheel? No. <laughs> You've never no. seen the MacBook Wheel? No, I haven't. Aaron? <laughs> no. Okay, so we have to take five minutes and just look at this thing, so let's Google it. I've got it here. Apple introduces revolutionary new laptop with no keyboard. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I have seen this. This so, is old, man. Yeah. 2009. So, so I always laugh about this because when I think about Siri, I think about how, and, you know, when, when you get these Ajax websites that, you know, sort of try to filter and anticipate what you're writing, you know, so we have the preemptive, I don't know what you call it on, on iOS, but it has the pre- pre- preemptive technology that tries to anticipate what you're going to, you're typing in a message or things like that. While this video pokes at the ridiculousness of Apple releases, it's amazing how many of the things that they talked about in this particular mock uh, announcement have actually come to be in terms of Apple products. Like, hmm. you know, like, and like you just read off those hello messages 
well, get to the part where the guy's writing the, doing the message, and it's like, you know, he starts typing, you know, I love the part where he says, it took me 45 minutes to write a message to my friend, <laughs> but, because, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, all you've got is, you've got the iPod uh, click wheel to, to, to right. navigate with, but that's... It's like the a, Apple TV. Exactly. <laughs> exactly, yeah. right? And, and then the, and then the uh, but the message, the preemptive message sentence, they call it preemptive sentence technology, and it's like the abortion was successful, the aardvark was, you know, and it's almost like you just read off all those hello messages and that's when i sort of thought well is it really a human that wrote that maybe it was some sort of algorithm or script or something that wrote that maybe maybe siri wrote that maybe it is it, Who knows? it would be it would be kind of a cool thing if they just took a bunch of app store app descriptions oh. and had some some algorithm uh to distill each app description down into a into a one line i don't uh, know there's too form. much wouldn't that be cool it would be, but I just don't believe it. I mean, I look at the results. The results suggest human intervention to me. Well, maybe there were many, many thousands of them, and, and humans chose the best ones. That's true. Now, chose the best thousands? But coming back to the wall, wasn't wasn't the goal <laughs> sure. to go and find your sentence or something to that effect? Oh, maybe so. Yeah, maybe I, so. I think that way I read that somewhere. I'm not sure maybe it was in this article or not. but Yeah, because some of the references are very clear to what app they refer Really? Yeah, Sorry. yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I, I, I'll try to... Re- Hello, Exploding Jewels, right? So that would be like... Um, what the hell is that game called? Oh, that one, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Hello, Don Patrol. That refers to a particular thing. Hello, Digital John Hancock. There's signing apps. Hello, Sweatshirt I Wanted. Glad to hear you're back in stock. Right. That's That seems kind of specific to something. I'm not exactly yeah. sure what, but something. Yeah. yeah. Hello, Nearest Gas Station. Hello, trippy fractals. Yep. Hello, doodles come to life. You know, I I think it just it strikes me that it has human intervention. It has it has intention to this that does not come out feeling like an algorithm. Hello, uh, likes. You may be underestimating <laughs> our our yeah maybe I am algorithmic overlords. I, I I would like to know that actually. Yeah. I would very much like to do know that because uh, yeah, like um, artificial intelligence, whatever that means. Um, is very interesting, but uh, is is I think I think far more limited than most people assume. I don't know. Well, that could be a whole other po- uh, podcast. It, just it on that totally topic. could. It could be totally a whole year of podcasts. Good. Um, okay. Well, let's let's close the door on that one. Um, sure. Are we on picks? We're on picks. Yeah. Let me just ping uh, Tammy. Yeah. Ping Tammy. Here's a funny one. Hello, text message Cliff Hanners. Think about that. Hello, text message Cliff. Hanners. It's supposed to be cliffhangers, I think. I'm not sure if that's a typo. I guess there could be a typo in this. Let's let's just do this pick. Yeah, um, so let's go around the oh, table and see if yeah. we have any picks for today, and we'll stop with Aaron, who has a pick for sure. Okay, so I do have a pick for sure, and this is why we have Tammy on with us now. Welcome, Tammy. Hey, Tammy. Hi. The pick for me this week is uh, the long-awaited Scrivener for iOS, and this is an app for iOS that existed on the Mac and on Windows for some years now, and it's the premier app for novelists who wish to write their novels. And when the iPad came out in 2010, the um, the fellow that runs Literature and Latte, the company that makes Scrivener, uh, based in the UK, came up with a statement that essentially said he was not a big believer in the iPad and that he did not foresee there being a Scrivener for Ooh. iOS and for iPad in particular. This was met with um, a lot of disagreement by iPad owners who felt that it was the future of computing, myself among them. And so sometime later, at some point, um, 
Keith, right? That's his name? Yeah, Keith Blunt. He decided that he would undertake this task, uh, not himself, though, because he's a, a Mac developer, and contracted out the development of Scrivener for iPad. And this is the part of the story where we hopefully would have Tammy come in and have something to say about this, uh, because it w- did turn into a very, very long process. Um, and it is finally seeing the light of day uh, six years after the iPad came out, and not a moment too soon. The one thing I want to say about it, though, is that now that it's out, my wife, who is a novelist, has six published novels and has been using Scrivener for a very long time, uh, has been very much looking forward to its release and had a, had a chance to look at it today. She imported a couple of projects to Dropbox so that it could sync into Scrivener for iOS, opened it on her iPad Pad Air 2, and was delighted. She uh, sees everything that there is in there that she was expecting to find, it seems to be, if not a perfect feature, complete match for the desktop version, close enough that it doesn't matter. That everything is there, it's organized in a way that makes sense to her, and I'll just quote something that she wrote to me in a text message as we were beginning recording. It's not just the completeness of it, the fact that at a glance it seems to have all the features I was looking for, it's also that it's put together in a way that makes sense. I figured stuff out just by poking around, not by reading instructions. That's a sign of good design, right? That's for sure, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, that she's really, really happy with it right now, and she hasn't had a ton of time to use it yet. Like, you know, deeper impressions will come with time. But the reviews that are out there and my wife's first impression uh, are are very positive right now. And so we may have waited a long time for it, but it seems like it was worth the wait. So what makes Scrivener on uh, the Mac such a good tool to work with? Is, is that the one where it basically blocks all other distractions? No, 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 no. It it does do that. <laughs> You're thinking of something like Write Room. Yeah. Right, okay. So yeah, the, so the thing with Scrivener on the Mac is that uh, it is like a very powerful tool for organizing content for novelists, right? So if you're a novelist, you've got to plan your story before you start writing it. Right, yeah. And it has this corkboard sort of interface that allows you to um, to put arbitrary content like scenes and chapters into a single jumble that you can then organize to your heart's content. And those, those cards that you put on the corkboard correlate to uh, documents that are part of this binder that make up your novel. And so as you're writing your story, you can sort of break it down into smaller and smaller pieces. And I think Scrivener novelists tend to uh, atomize their novel as much as possible, right, to make it more achievable. Um, And it's like a a big scrapbook into which you can throw uh, research material like uh, website URLs, images, uh, pictures of people that you imagine your characters look like, character profiles. And then, you know, of course, the work of writing the novel, like in all these separate documents, like a Scrivener document is actually a folder which contains RTFs, rich text format documents, uh, as well as all the other raw materials of, um, you know, images and hyperlinks and things that are part of your research. But when you're done writing and you've got like this jumble of RTFs arranged in like a binder, uh, it has this compile engine that exports it all to like a Word document or an HTML page or whatever you want basically to output it as, as a finished work. And so it's it's a very full-featured application, and it's like, I don't think it's the only one of its kind, but it's it's regarded as the best of its kind. 
So Tammy, would you know what speech writing and course writing? Is that something you would, you could use a tool like this for as well? I'm just kind of thinking. Oh, absolutely. You always have different thought process or thoughts you need to carry in in a, in a speech or a, a talk, right? It definitely goes beyond novel writing and script writing. Um, and you know, I know people who use it for just basically putting together a tutorial, for example, or, you know, running a team of people. I mean, the, the organization is such that it's not, you know, it's not a database. It's not a bunch of files just randomly put together in a folder. There, there's a file structure there that allows you to think, I hate to sound so cliche, but outside of the box. I use it for pretty much everything at this point um, from yeah, I use it for novel writing and script writing and, and comic book writing and so on and so forth. But I also use it for tutorial writing and, like I said, even managing a team. Um, you're able to have the basics of, you know, putting everything into a draft folder and then exporting that out to a format for a book. Or beyond that, you can use it for just structure of organizing your stuff. I mean, to have that functionality and capability on an iPad and to have it sync seamlessly with your Mac or your Windows PC. It's just kind of incredible. Yeah, it's cool. And it's got a lot of people excited, obviously. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, like yeah. I, I was I was like, okay, UK time, morning, when is that? US time? When can I go get it? I was checking it at like 2 a.m. I'm like, darn it, it's not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> right. Timmy, I've what? never used the app, but does it have the capability of typesetting mathematical equations? Oh, see, you, you said the M word. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Yeah, I okay. don't know about that one either. Um, I, I just downloaded it early this morning. We're going on. It's it's what, like 9 o'clock here for me, about 10 o'clock for you guys. I played with it probably a couple hours today. Um I'm in love with it. I like it. Mathematical equations, eh, not so much for me. <laughs> okay. Tim, feel free to cut that part out. <laughs> well, okay. having said that, I mean, there uh, just a quick Google search shows that some people are definitely using this stuff in Scrivener. They are doing math equations in Scrivener, and it has to do with uh, working with latex. Right, yeah. Right. This yeah. looks like a kind of a process. <laughs> yeah, la- latex is, is, is kind of a big pain. It's a... Uh, yeah, it's it, imagine uh, using something like HTML or XML to to lay out an equation. It's it's, yeah, it's yeah. based on tags. I was I was yeah. hoping for something more. What you see is what you get. You know, some real nice graphical capability. Hmm. Yeah, doesn't but, look like it. Yeah, it's not. One of the nice yeah. features that I like about it is that you can pinch and zoom in on your text without actually changing the size of your text. So you're only changing the size for the display. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Tried that too. Um, Tammy, like one of the things that I think listeners of this show would be very interested in hearing more about is the process of bringing Scrivener to iOS. And uh, you were a developer on that project. Are you willing or able to comment on the struggle of bringing it to iOS? From a developer standpoint, I understand the challenges that Keith faced in bringing this code to iOS. I'm sure he will take it beyond even what I thought this app was possible, what he thought the app was possible of doing. 
And of course, with iOS 10 coming out and, you know, future versions, um, I have nothing but love for Scrivener. And I can't wait to spend more than just a couple of hours with it. That sounds great. I mean, this is the one app that, you know, my wife has said that if if it came to the iPad, then she probably wouldn't need a Mac anymore. And that's, you know, <laughs> that's a big deal. And there's a lot of people that are going to feel this way. You know, why, why have a full-on Mac when you can get an iPad Pro and do your computing basically anywhere? You're yeah. out of excuses now with Scrivener. Right. It's incredible. That's great. And that's my pick of the week. (laughs) (laughs) An app that uh, at one point in my life would have been the only app I needed. And now uh, now I'm a developer. (laughs) So here we are. Now I need Xcode for iPad. Not this. Yeah. You know. You know, I was right about developing. Yeah. That's true. I could. So, Tammy, do you have to run or can you hang around? No, I'm not. My company left, so I'm good. Okay, good. Okay, cool. You're thinking, oh, darn it, I wish you would leave. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Uh, Well, my pick is kind of related to um, our book club episode that we did a couple of months ago. Um, Greg mentioned a book by a fellow uh, Ray Wernerlicker named Matt Galloway, um, not the CBC host. And um, the last two years I have been... Uh, had my head in a couple of different worlds. I've been working in the Swift world, you know, with the Ray Wernerlich crew and writing apps in Swift. And in my day jobs, I'm still working with legacy code in Objective-C. And one of the books that Greg recommended was the book by Matt Galloway called Essential Objective-C 2.0. And I managed to pick up a copy. I was looking for something to read at the cottage the other day, so I downloaded a copy onto my Kindle. Um, The price was reasonable. I think it was around $20 Canadian, I think. Um, and it's what it is, is, uh, as Greg explained, it's, it's 52 different sort of short essays on things about, uh, uh, deeper dives into certain things about, uh, Objective-C. So there's no sort of, it's not written in a tutorial style and it's not written in a how to learn Objective-C style. It's geared more towards an intermediate to senior developer kind of, uh, thought, um, and I'm only f- uh, five sections in and I've already learned a whole lot of stuff about Objective-C that I thought. I kind of had a handle on, but the sort of nuances and how to go about them really helped. And as I think about what happens when you will need to move from Objective-C into Swift, there are some passages in the book that kind of explain where sort of the foundations of Swift come from. Like, you know, if you're looking at the enum chapter or you're looking at the, the using defines versus using uh, static constants, which are typed, you know, uh, the advantages of using typed uh, static constants. And, you know, uh, enums, which then become, you know, which help you understand uh, the whole struct culture or struct struct structure and uh, patterns. Um, and like I said, I'm just in the first part of the book and I'm loving it already, you know, like maybe, you know, a couple of like f- five chapters in and I'm thinking it's a great book already. So that's my pick for this week is a sec- Essential Objective 2.0. And in the spirit of Jaime Lopez, I'm going to have a second pick. Um, for those of you, Damn you Mitra. I know, I know. I want you, Lopez. Yes, I, out I, there I, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, our mutual friends from Taco, uh, F- Flixel, who've won uh, the best startup at Startup Fest in Montreal. And uh, Philippe LeBlanc was over there accepting the award. Uh, I believe he's a founder. Uh, and the guy who came up with the idea of Cinemagraphs, which is what uh, um, 
they they built Cinegraph Pro for iOS and for Mac, and they won an ADA back in 2014, I believe. So shout outs, kudos to Mark and Carl and Ryder from both Aaron and myself, I'm sure. Yes, congrats. Um, Cinegraph Pro is their Mac app. Right. And what's the... the um... It's it, Well, it's gone through a number of name changes now. I believe it's Flixel on the iOS. Uh, gosh, okay. I'm so ignorant. I don't know. Um <laughs> But it's funny because we yeah. we talk about uh, we talk about uh, live we talked about live picture last week I believe this is oh, no. a feature in um, I'm sorry it is they do have Cinegraph Pro for iOS now right right um, as, as I thought but anyway we talked last week about live picture for um, you know on the iPhone 6s and the 6s plus um, that new feature where it, it, yeah the phone shutters uh, three or four shots in a row and then you can sort of tap and hold on them and get the sort of moving thing and we were kind of speculating live photo sorry it's a live photo live photo thank you um, kind of speculating on how that would sort of uh, go after part of the market that cinemagraphs are are fitting into um, but uh, having worked with both cinemagraph pro and on ios in my case and uh the live picture i think there's no threat cinemagraphs are a great technology if you're doing any kind of marketing or any kind of uh uh case where you want to put an image up and, and uh, have some sort of point of attraction definitely check out cinemagraphs from our buddies over at flixel pick number two right on all right that's it our work here is done our work here is done so aaron if people want to find you on the interwebs where would they look Go to the Twitter, and it's at Aaron Vey, A-A-R-O-N-V as in Victor, E-G-H. Right, and Mark, if people want to get a hold of you? Mark R at smapsoft.com. And Tammy? Paradox927. Paradox927. And you're also holding hosting a little event down in Nashville in September? IndieDevStock.com. All right, so, and my name is Simitra, and I am T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on Twitter, and that's it for this week, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes for each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening. Tammy, that was uh, it was really good to have your perspective. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I've told you before, Tammy, that we get feedback from our fans that they they like hearing your your perspective on things. Being a southerner and being you know a developer of stuff. <laughs> Developer of stuff. <laughs> developer of stuff. That's going to be. I'm going to change my my thing from creative professional yeah. from to developer of stuff. Yeah, create, creative professional developer of stuff and junk. Zombie fan, you know. 
Listen, are you guys coming to the Indie Dev Talk? Come on, like. But I was oh, coming yeah, anyway. Did you guys know that he's speaking? I did know this, yes. I, I did not know that. Yeah, what, I've been what paying are you attention. On, Tim? Uh, she hasn't got me to, t- to reveal what my subject is about. I have a couple of ideas in process. I haven't really fleshed them out. I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about downloading <laughs> he, Scrivener. He needs, thinking he about needs downloading to, Scrivener. like, figure it out, right? I need to download Scrivener and put some stuff up with the corkboard and sort of push them around you know, a bit. You might find that amazing thing to do, Tim. Well, that's exactly totally that's why I was that. asking the question about that. because I know It would be I, phenomenal I, on your iPad Pro. I have to do some teaching. I have to teach the, do some classes at, at the bank on Swift for people. And, you know, and then I have to go and rationalize why we do things the way we do in Objective-C. And that's, again, why my pick fits in well. So, Gotcha. Because we do it that way. No, I don't go to conferences. <laughs> he does at least not this house, year. Barely. Yeah, that was tough. This has been a tough month for me. You know, like I was in L.A. for work. I thought for a week. you didn't like say that right. He, he was in L.A. Now. for a month, and it was terrible. <laughs> Tammy says, "There's no crying in baseball." <laughs> crying in baseball. That's my new go-to. Yeah. No, I don't travel much at all if I can help it. All right. See, but, like I have a totally different impression of you. What's happening here? <laughs> oh, the world, the world is upside down. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, so so here's an idea, right? So I think Jaime is sort of sitting on the fence too, right? So what if we did a show from Indie Dev Stock, Aaron? Man. Oh, that'd be No good. pressure. No pressure. No pressure. I, no, I, I, I give you guys commit like to this 70, right now. Live. I, if you do a live show. She said y'all. Y'all. She did. Don't make me smack you. But yeah, y'all could do it like oh, I did it she again. Said it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, look, I did it again. But look, no, you all. How's that? <laughs> you all. Each could one do of you. Each live, one. Of you. Each one of you could do a live show together at Indie Dev Stock. At at. Okay. Well, there I you will know. think about it. I'll what, think about it? it. It's September sixteenth and seventeenth, a Friday and a Saturday. Oh, it's coming up soon. It is. Oh, yeah, it's That's like, why I can't go to both. I can only go to one or the other, and I chose Indie Dev Stock. Which one will be better? <laughs> I don't know. It's hard to say. <laughs> okay. One's, in, Nash- one's in Nashville, Mark. We get to wander yeah. around and check out music and stuff. Yeah, that would actually be pretty cool. Uh-huh. Yeah, does Southwest fly into Nashville? Do you know? I know that it does, only because I just booked a flight for my son's girlfriend for Southwest. Um, i got to take off, though, now. So... You guys enjoy talking about bucket brain? Bucket and head? Whatever. <laughs> and I'll talk to bucket you guys head. later. Oh my goodness, bucket brain. Jimmy, if no, you okay. get oh, bucket no, head I'm there out. to do a live performance, I will be there. Are you kidding? My husband would be beside himself if I could get do bucket head. Oh. Do it. Oh, I was telling Bill, my husband, I said, these guys are talking about bucket head like he's something new. He's like, really? <laughs> yeah. No, no, Mark's been saying No, 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 no. I've, so, I've been a fan since the early 90s. So, Mark.